Chapter thirty seven of Balsamo the Magician by Alexandre Dumas. Translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Double Existence. But he recoiled swiftly, and the arms came together ere falling folded on her bosom. Would you like to speak with your friend? he asked. Yes, speak to me often. I like to hear your voice. You have often told me, dearest, that you would be very happy if we could dwell together afar from the world. That would indeed be bliss. Well, I have realized your wish, darling. We are by ourselves in this parlor, where none can hear and none intrude. I am glad to hear it. Tell me how you like the place. Order me to see it. Does it please you? asked the Count, after a pause. Yes, here are my favorite flowers. Thank you, my kind Joseph. How good you are. I do all I can to please you. Oh, you are a hundred times kinder to me than I deserve. You confess that you have been wicked? very badly so but you will overlook that after you explain the enigma which i have struggled against ever since i knew you hearken balsamo in me are two lorenzas quite distinct one loves you and the other detests you as if i lived two existences one during which i enjoy the delights of paradise the other when i suffer the opposite these two existences are your waking mood and your magnetic sleep yes why do you hate me when in your waking senses and love me when in the charmed sleep because lorenza is the superstitious italian girl who believes that science is a crime and love a sin then she is afraid of the sage balsamo and the loving joseph she has been told that to love would destroy her soul and so she flees from the lover to the confines of the earth but when lorenzo sleeps it is another matter she is no longer a roman girl and superstitious but a woman she sees that the genius of balsamo dreams of sublime themes she understands how pretty an object she is compared with him she longs to live by him and die at his side in order that the future shall breathe her name while it trumpets the glory of cagliostro is that the name i am to be celebrated under the name dear lorenza so you like our new home it is richer than any you have found for me but that is not why i like it more but because you say you will be oftener here with me so when you sleep you know how fondly i adore you yes she said with a faint smile i see that passion then and yet there is something you love about lorenza 
she sighed. Your dream. Rather say my task. Well, your ambition. Say my glory. Oh, heaven. And her heart was laboring. Her closed lids allowed tears to struggle out. What is it you see? inquired Balsamo, astounded at the lucidity which frightened even him. I see phantoms gliding about among the shadows, some hold in their own hands their severed crowned heads, like St. Denis in that abbey, and you stand in the heart of the battle, like a general in command. You seem to rule, and you are obeyed. "'Does that not make you proud of me?' inquired the other joyfully. "'You are good enough not to care to be great. Besides, in looking for myself in this scene, I see nothing of me. Oh, I shall not be there,' she sighed. "'I shall be in the grave.' "'You dead?' my dearest lorenza said balsamo frowning no we shall live and love together no you love me no more or not enough crowding upon his forehead held between her hands a multitude of glowing kisses i have to reproach you for your coldness look now how you draw away from me as though you fled my fondlings oh restore me to my maiden quietude in my nunnery of subiaco when the night was so calm in my cell return me those kisses which you sent on the wings of the wind coming to me in my solitude like gold pinioned sylph which melted on me in delight do not retreat from me give me your hand that i may press it let me kiss your dear eyes let me be your wife in short lorenza sweetest you are my well-beloved wife yet you pass by the chaste and solitary flower and scorn the perfume i am sure that i am nothing to you on the contrary you are everything my lorenza for it is you who give me strength power and genius without you i should be nothing cease then to love me with this insensate fever which wrecks the nights of your people and love me as i love you thus i am happy you call that happiness scornfully said the italian yes for to be great is happiness she heaved a long sigh. Oh, if you only knew the gladness in being able to read the hearts of man and manipulate them with the strings of their own dominant passions. Yes, I know that in this I serve your purpose. It is not all. Your eyes read the sealed book of the future you sweet dove pure and guideless you have taught me what i could not ascertain in twenty years application you enlighten my steps before which my enemies multiply traps and snares on my mind depend my life fortune and liberty 
you dilate it like the lynx's eye which sees in the dark as your lovely orbs close on this world they open in superhuman clarity they watch for me it is you who make me rich free and powerful and in return you make me unhappy replied lorenza wrapped up in her frenzy more fiery than ever she enfolded him in her arms so that he was impregnated with a flame which he feebly resisted but he made such an effort that he broke the living bondage have pity lorenza he sued was it to pity you that i left my native land my name my family my faith she said almost threatening with her lovely arms rising white and yet muscular amid the waves of her long black tresses coming down why have you laid on me this absolute empire so that if i am your slave and have to give you my life and breath was it to mock me ever with the name of the virgin lorenza balsamo sighed himself crushed by the weight of her immense despair alas is it your fault or that of the creator why were you made the angel with the infallible gaze by whose aid i should make this universe submit why is it that you are the one to read a soul through its bodily envelope as one may read a book through a glass because you are an angel of purity lorenza and nothing throws a shadow upon your soul in your radiant and immaculate bosom the divine spark may be enshrined a place without sullying where it may fitly nestle you are a seer because you are blameless lorenza as a woman you would be but so much substance and you prefer this to my love continued the italian clapping her hands with such rage that they became empurpled you set my love beneath these whims that you pursue and fables that you invent you snatch me out of the cold cloister but in the bustling ardent world you condemn me to the conventional chastity joseph you commit a crime i tell you do not blaspheme said balsamo for i suffer too read in my heart and never again say that i love you not i resist you because i want to raise you on the throne of the world Huck, your ambition sneered the young roman will your ambition ever give you what you might have in my love he yielded to her and his head rested in her arms ah, yes she cried i see at last that you love me more than your ambition than power than your aspiration oh you love me as i love you but at the touch of their lips reason came to him who would be master of europe with his hands he beat aside the air charged with magnetic vapor lorenza awake i bid you thereupon the chain which he could not break was relaxed and the opening arms were dropped while the kiss died away on the paling lips of lorenza languishing in her last sigh her closed eyes parted their lids the dilated pupils resumed their normal size she shook herself with an effort and sank in lassitude but awake on the sofa 
Seated three paces from her, the mesmerist sighed deeply. "'Good-bye to the dream,' he said. "'Good-bye to happiness.'" End of chapter 37 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 38 of Balsamo the Magician by Alexandre Dumas. Translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Wakeful State As soon as Lorenzo's sight had recovered its power, she glanced rapidly around her. After examining everything without one of the many knick-knacks which delight woman brightening her brow, she stopped with her look upon Balsamo and nervously shuddered. You again she said receding on her physiognomy appeared all the tokens of alarm her lips became white and perspiration came as pearls at the root of her hair where am i she asked as he said nothing as you know where you came from you can readily guess where you are he responded you are right in reminding me i do indeed remember i know that i have been pursued by you and torn from the arms of the royal intermediary whom i chose between heaven and you then you ought to know that this princess has been unable to defend you however powerful she may be you have overruled her by some witching violence said lorenzo wringing her hands oh saints of mercy deliver me from this demon where do you see anything demoniacal in me returned balsamo shrugging his shoulders once for all i beg you to lay aside this pack of puerile beliefs brought from rome and all the rubbish of absurd superstitions which you have carted about with you since you ran away from the nunnery oh my dear nunnery who will restore me to my dear nunnery cried the italian bursting into tears indeed a nunnery is much to be deplored said balsamo lorenza ran to one of the windows opened the curtains and then the sash but came against iron bars which were there unmistakably however many flowers were masking them if i must live in a prison she said I prefer that whence one goes to heaven to that which has a trap-door into Hades. And she began trying the bars with her dainty hands. Were you more reasonable, Lorenza? You would find only flowers at your window and not bars. Was I not reasonable when you confined me in that other prison, the one on wheels, with the vampire you call Atotis? but you still kept your eye on me when by and never left me till you had breathed into me that spirit which possesses me and i cannot shake it off where is that horrid old man who frightens me to death in some corner i suppose 
let us hush and listen till his ghostly voice be heard you let your fancy sway you like a child said balsamo my friend and preceptor altatus my second father is an inoffensive old man who has never seen you let alone approached you or if he did come near he would not heed you being absorbed in his work his work tell me what the work is muttered the roman he is seeking the elixir of long life for which superior minds have been seeking these two thousand years what are you working for human perfection a pair of demons said lorenza lifting her hands to heaven is this your fit coming on again you are ignorant of one thing your life is divided into two parts during one you are gentle good and sensible during the other you are mad and you shut me up under the vain pretext of this malady it had to be done oh barbarian be cruel without pity imprison me and kill me but do not play the hypocrite and pretend to feel for me while you tear me to pieces do you call it torture to live in a luxurious suite of rooms said balsamo with a kindly smile and not at all disturbed with bars to all the issues put there for the sake of your life lorenza oh he roasts me to death at a slow fire and he talks of my life's sake exclaimed the italian approaching he offered to take her hand but she repelled his as if it were a serpent do not touch me she said do you hate me so much lorenza ask the victim how he likes the executioner it is because i do not want to be one that i restrict your liberty a little could you come and go as you like who can tell what your folly might drive you to wait till i am free some day and see what i shall do lorenza you are behaving badly toward the husband whom you chose you are my wife that was the work of satan poor crazy creature said the mesmerist with a tender look i am a daughter of rome continued she and some day i shall take revenge do you say that merely to frighten me he asked gently shaking his head no no i will do what i say what are you saying and you a christian woman exclaimed balsamo with surprising authority in his voice is your creed which bids you return good for evil but a hypocrisy that you pretend to follow it and you boast of revenge evil for good oh replied lorenza for an instant struck by the argument it is duty not revenge to denounce society's enemies if you denounced me as a master in the black art it would not be as an offender against society but against heaven were i to defy heaven which need but comprise me as one atom in the myriad slain by an earthquake or pestilence but which takes no pains to punish me why should weak men like myself undertake to punish me 
heaven forgets or tolerates waiting for you to reform said the italian meanwhile said the other smiling you are advised to tolerate your husband friend and benefactor husband oh that i should have to endure your yoke oh what an impenetrable mystery muttered the magician pursuing his thought rather than heeding the speaker let us have done why do you take away my liberty why having bestowed it on me would you take it back why flee from your protector why unceasingly threaten one who never threatens you with revelation of secrets which are not yours and have aims beyond anything you can conceive oh said lorenza without replying to the question the prisoner who yearns for freedom eventually obtains it and your house-bars will no more hold me than your wagon-sides happily for you they are stout replied balsamo with ominous tranquillity heaven will send another such storm as befell us in lorraine and some thunderbolt will shatter them take my advice to pray for nothing of the kind lorenza distrust these romantic transports i speak to you as a friend listen to me stunned at the height of her rebellion lorenza listened in spite of herself from so much concentrated wrath being in his voice and gloomy fire in his eye while his white but powerful hand opened and shut so strangely as he slowly and solemnly spoke mark this my child that i have tried to have this place fit for a queen and with nothing lacking for your comfort so calm your folly live here as you would do in your convent cell you must become habituated to my presence as i have great sorrows i will confide in you dreadful disappointment for which i will crave a smile the kinder more patient and attentive you are the more of your bars i will remove so that in some months who knows how soon you will become perhaps more free than i am in the sense that you will not want to curtail my liberty no no replied the italian unable to understand that firm resolution could be applied to such gentle words no more professions and falsehoods you abducted me so that i am my own property still restore me to heaven if you will not let me be my own mistress i have borne with your despotism so far from remembering that you saved me from the robbers who would have ruined me but this gratitude is much enfeebled a few days more of this captivity against which i revolt and i shall no longer feel obliged to you a few more and i shall perhaps believe you were in concert with those highwaymen so you honour me with a captaincy of brigands sneered balsamo i do not know about that but i noticed secret signs and peculiar words but replied the other losing colour you will never tell them never to a living soul you will bury them in the remotest place in your memory so that they shall die there smothered just the other way retorted lorenza delighted as angry persons are at having found the antagonist's vulnerable point 
my memory shall piously preserve those words which i will repeat over and over again when alone and say aloud when the opening comes as already i have done to whom to the princess royale lorenza mind this well said he clenching his nails and his flesh to subdue his fury and check his rushing blood at the thought that his brothers were in danger through the woman whom he had selected to aid them all if you said them never again will you do so for the doors will be kept fastened those bars pointed at the head and those walls reared as high as babbles i have already told you bosimo that any soul wherein the love of liberty is reinforced by the hate of tyranny must escape from all prison-houses well and good try it woman but mark this well you will only twice try it for the first time i will punish you so severely that you will weep all the tears in your body and for the second i will strike you pitilessly that you will pour forth all the blood in your veins help help he is murdering me shrieked the woman at the last paroxysm of wrath tearing her hair and rolling on the carpet for an instant balsamo considered her with mingled rage and pity the latter overcoming the other come come lorenza return to your senses and be calm a day will come when you will be rewarded amply for what you have suffered or fancy imprisoned screamed the italian and beaten these are times to try the mind you are mad but you shall be cured better throw me into a madhouse at once shut me up in a real jail no you have warned me what you would do against me then said the infuriate let me have death straightway springing up with the suppleness and rapidity of the wild beast she leaped to break her head against the wall but balsamo had merely to stretch out his hands toward her and utter a single word rather with his will than with his lips to stop her dead she stopped indeed reeled and dropped sleep-stricken in the magnetizer's arms the strange enchanter who seemed to rule all the material part of the woman though the mental portion baffled him lifted up lorenza in his arms and carried her to the couch there he laid a long kiss on her lips drew the curtains of bed and windows and left her a sweet and blessed sleep enveloped her like the cloak of a kind mother wrapping the wilful child who has much suffered and wept End of chapter thirty eight recording by john van stan savannah georgia Chapter thirty nine of Balsamo the Magician by Alexander Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Predicted Visit Lorenzo was not mistaken. A carriage going through Saint Denis Gateway and following the street of the same name turned into the road leading out to the Bastille. As the clairvoyant had stated, this conveyance enclosed the Cardinal Prince of Rohan, Bishop of Strasbourg whose impatience had caused him to anticipate the hour fixed for his visit to the magician in his cave of mystery. 
the coachman who had been inured to obscurity pitfalls and dangers of some darksome streets by the prelate's love adventures was not daunted the least when after leaving the part of the way still populated and lighted he had to take the black and lonesome bastille boulevard the vehicle stopped at the corner of st claude street where it hid along the trees twenty paces off prince rohan in plain dress glided up the street and rapped three times on the door which he easily recognized from the indication that the count had afforded fritz's steps sounded in the passage and he opened the door is it here resides count phoenix inquired rohan yes my lord and he is at home say a visitor is here shall i announce his eminence cardinal prince de rohan asked fritz the prince stood aghast looking round him and at himself to see if anything about him in costume or surroundings betrayed his rank no he was alone and in civilian dress how do you know my name he inquired my lord just told me now that he expected your eminence yes but to-morrow or the day after not so please your highness this evening announce me anyway said the prelate putting a double louis gold piece in his hand fritz intimated that the visitor should follow him and he walked briskly to the door of the antechamber which a large candelier with a dozen tapers illuminated the visitor followed surprised and meditative there must be some mistake my friend he said pausing at the door in which case i do not wish to disturb the count it is impossible he can expect me as he could not know i was coming as your highness is cardinal prince rohan you are certainly expected by my lord lighting the other candelabra fritz bowed and went out five minutes elapsed during which the prelate the prey to singular emotion scanned the elegant furniture of the room and the half-dozen paintings by masters on the tapestried walls when the door opened count phoenix appeared on the threshold good evening to your highness he simply said i am told that you expected me observed the visitor without replying to the welcome expected this evening impossible i ask your pardon but i was expecting your highness returned the host i may be doubted seeing how paltry is my reception but i have hardly got settled yet from being but a few days in town i hope for your eminence's excusing me my visit expected who could have forewarned you yourself my lord when you called your footman to the carriage door did you not say to him drive to st claude street in the swamp by st denis street and the boulevard words which he repeated to the driver yes but how could you see this and hear the words not being present i was not there but i saw and heard at this distance as i am you must not forget a wizard i had forgotten by the way am i in to entitle you baron balsamo or count phoenix in my own house i have no title i am plainly the master ah the title in alchemy so my master in hermetics if you expected me 
the fire would be lit in the laboratory the fire is always kept burning my lord and i will have the honor to show your highness into the place i follow you on the condition that you do not personally confront me with the devil i am dreadfully afraid of his satanic majesty lucifer my lord my familiar friends replied balsamo never forget how to deal with princes and they will behave properly this encourages me so ho for the laboratory end of chapter thirty nine recording by john van stan savannah georgia Chapter Forty of Balsamo the Magician by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Art of Making Gold. The two-threaded and narrow staircase which led, as did the grand stairs, to the first-floor rooms, but a door was under an archway there, which the guide opened, and the cardinal bravely walked into a dark corridor thus disclosed. Balsamo shut the door and the sound of the closing made the visitor look back with some emotion. "'We have arrived,' said the leader. "'Only one door to open and shut behind us. Do not be astonished at the noise it makes, as it is of iron.' It was fortunate that the cardinal was warned in time, for the snap of the handle and the grinding of the hinges might make nerves more susceptible than his to vibrate. They went down three steps— and entered a large cell with rafters overhead, a huge lamp with shade, many books, and a number of chemical and physical instruments. Such was the aspect. In a few seconds the cardinal felt a difficulty in breathing. "'What does this mean, my lord?' he asked. "'The water is streaming off me, and I am stifling. What sound is that, master?' "'This is the cause,' answered the host pulling aside a large curtain of asbestos and uncovering a large brick furnace in the center of which glared two fiery cavities like lion's eyes in the gloom. This furnace stood in an inner room centrally twice the size of the first, unseen from the stone-cloth screen. "'This is rather alarming, meseems,' said the prince. "'Only a furnace, my lord.' "'But there are different kinds of furnaces.' this one strikes me as diabolical and the smell is not pleasant what devil's broth are you cooking what your eminence wants i believe you will accept a sample of my produce i was not going to work until tomorrow but as your eminence changed his mind i lit the fire as soon as i saw you on the road hither i made the mixture so that the furnace is boiling and you can have your gold in about ten minutes let me open the ventilator to let in some air. What? Are these crucibles on the fire? In ten minutes they will pour you out the gold as pure as from any assayers in Christendom. I should like to look at them. Of course you can, but you must take the indispensable precaution of putting on this asbestos mask with glass eyes or the ardent fire will scorch your sight. Have a care indeed. I prize my eyes, and would not give them for the hundred thousand crowns you promise me. So I thought, and your lordship's eyes are good and bright. 
the compliment did not displease the prince who was proud of his personal advantages <laughs> he chuckled so we are going to see gold made i expect so my lord a hundred thousand crowns worth there may be a little more as i mixed up liberally the raw stuff you are certainly a generous magician said the prince fastening the fireproof mask on while his heart throbbed gladly less than your eminence though it is kind to praise me for generosity of which you are a good judge will your highness stand a little one side while i lift off the crucible covers he had put on a stone cloth shirt and seizing iron pincers he lifted off an iron cover this allowed one to see four similar melting pots each containing a fluid mass one vermilion red others lighter but all ruddy is that gold queried the prelate in an undertone as if afraid by loud speaking to injure the mystery in progress yes the four crucibles contain the metal in different stages of production some having been on eleven hours some twelve the mixture is to be thrown into the first mass of ingredients the living stuff into the gross at the moment of boiling that is the secret which i do not mind communicating to a friend of the science but as your eminence may notice the first crucible is turning white hot it is time to draw the charge will you please stand well back my lord rohan obeyed with the same punctuality as a soldier obeying his captain dropping the iron pinchers which had already heated to redness the other ran up to the furnace a carriage on wheels of the same level the top being an iron block in which were set eight moulds of round shape and the same capacity this is the mould in which i cast the ingots explained the alchemist on the floor he spread a lot of wet oakum wads to prevent the splashing of the metal setting the floor afire he placed himself between the moulds and the furnace opened a large book from which he read an incantation and said as he caught up long tongs in his hand to clutch the crucible the gold will be splendid my lord of the first quality oh you are never going to lift that mass single-handed exclaimed the spectator though it weighs fifty pounds yes my lord but do not fear for few metal melters have my strength and skill but if the crucible were to burst that did happen once to me it was in thirteen ninety nine while i was experimenting with nicolas flamel in his house by st jacques in the shambles poor nick almost lost his life and i lost twenty-seven marks worth of a substance more precious than gold what the deuce are you telling me that you were pursuing the great work in thirteen ninety nine with nicolas flamel yes flamel and i found the way while together fifty or sixty years before working with pietro the good in pelletown he did not pour out the crucible quickly enough and i had a bad eye the left one for ten or twelve years from the steam of course you know pietro's book the famous margarita pretiosa dated thirteen thirty to be sure and you knew flamel and peter the good i was the pupil of one and the master of the other while the alarmed prelate 
wondered whether this might not be the prince of darkness himself and not one of his imps by his side balsamo plunged his tongs into the incandescence it was a sure and rapid seizure he nipped the crucible four inches beneath the rim testing the grip by lifting it just a couple of inches then by a vigorous effort straining his muscles he raised the frightful pot from the scorching bed the tongs reddened almost up to the grasp on the superheated surface white streaks ran like lightning in a sulphurous cloud the pot edges deepened into brick red then browner while its conical shape appeared rosy and silvery in the twilight of the recesses finally the molten metal could be spied forming a violent cream on the top with golden shivers which hissed out of the lips of the container and leaped flaming into the black mould at its orifice reappeared the gold spouting up furious and fuming as if insulted by the vile metal which had confined it number two said balsamo passing to the second mould which he filled with the same skill and strength perspiration streamed from the founder while the beholder crossed himself in the shadow it was truly a picture of wild and majestic horror illumined by the yellow gleams of the metallic flame the operator resembled the condemned souls writhing in the infernos of dante and michelangelo in their cauldrons add to this the sensation of what was in progress being unheard of balsamo did not stop to take breath between the two drawings of the charges for time pressed there is little loss observed he after filling the second mould i let the boiling go on the hundredth of a minute too long the hundredth of a minute repeated the cardinal not trying to conceal his stupefaction trifles are enormous in the hermetical art replied the magician simply but anyway here are two crucibles empty and two ingots cast and they amount to a hundred weight of fine gold seizing the first mould with the powerful tongs he threw it into a tub of water which seethed and steamed for a long time at length he opened it and drew out an ingot of purest gold in the shape of a sugar-loaf flattened at both ends we shall have to wait nearly an hour for the other two said balsamo while waiting would your eminence not like to sit down and breathe the fresh air and this is gold said the cardinal without replying which made the hearer smile for he had firm hold of him now does your eminence doubt science has so many times been deceived you are not speaking your mind wholly said balsamo you suppose that i cheat you but do so with full knowledge my lord i should look very small to myself if i acted thus for my ambition would then be restricted to the walls of this foundry whence you would go forth to give the rest of your admiration to the first juggler at the street corner come come honour me better my prince and take it that i would cheat you more skilfully and with a higher aim if cheating was intended by me at all events your eminence knows how to test gold by the touchstone of course has not my lord made the application of the lunar caustic to the spanish gold coins much liked at card-play on account of the gold being the finest but among which a lot of counterfeits have got afloat this indeed has happened to me well here is acid and a blue stone my lord 
no i am convinced my lord do the pleasure of ascertaining that this is not only gold but gold without alloy the doubter seemed averse to giving this proof of unbelief and yet it was clear that he was not convinced balsamo himself tested the ingots and showed the results to his guest twenty-eight carats fine he said i am going to turn out the other twain ten minutes subsequently the two hundred thousand crowns worth of the precious metal was lying on the damp oakum bed in four ingots altogether i saw your eminence coming in a carriage so i presume it is in waiting let it be driven up to my door and i will have my man put the bullion in it a hundred thousand crowns muttered the prince taking off the mask in order to gloat on the metal at his feet as you saw it made you can freely say so added the conjurer but do not make a town talk of it for wizards are not liked in france if i were making theories instead of solid metal it would be a different matter then what can i do for you questioned the prince with difficulty hoisting one of the fifty-pound lumps in his delicate hands the other looked hard at him and burst into laughter without any respect what is there laughable in the offer i make you asked the cardinal why your lordship offers me his services and it seems more to the purpose that i should offer mine you oblige me he said with a clouding brow and that i am eager to acknowledge but if my gratitude ought to be rated higher than i appraise it i will not accept the service thank heaven there are still enough usurers in paris for me to find the hundred thousand crowns in a day half of my note of hand half on security my episcopal ring alone is worth forty thousand livres holding out his white hand white as a woman's a diamond flashed on the ring finger as large as a hickory nut prince you cannot possibly have held the idea for an instant that i meant to insult you it is strange that truth seems to have this effect on all princes he added as to himself your eminence offers me his services i ask you yourself of what nature can they be my credit at court to begin with my lord you know that is shaky and i would rather have the duke of choiseurs albeit he may not be the prime minister for yet a fortnight against your credit look at my cash the pure bright gold every time your eminence wants some advise me overnight or the same morning and i will conform to his desire and with gold one obtains everything eh my lord nay not everything muttered the prince falling from the perch of patronage and not even seeking to regain it quite right i forgot that your eminence seeks something else than gold a more precious boon than all earthly gifts but that does not come within the scope of science as in the range of magic say the word my lord and the alchemist will become a magician to serve you thank you i need nothing and desire no longer sighed the prelate my lord sighed the tempter drawing nearer such a reply ought not to be made to a wizard by a prince 
young fiery handsome rich and bearing the name of rohan because the wizard reads hearts and knows to the contrary i wish for nothing repeated the high nobleman almost frightened on the contrary i thought that your eminence entertained desires which he shrank from naming to himself as they are truly royal i believe you are alluding to some words that you used in the princess royal's rooms said the prince starting you were in error then and are so still your highness is forgetting that i see as clearly in your heart what is going on now as i saw your carriage coming from the carmelite convent traversing the town and stopping under the trees fifty paces off from my house then explain what is there my lord the princes of your house have always hungered for a great and hazardous love affair i do not know what you mean my lord faltered the prince nay you understand to a t i might have touched several chords in you but why the useless i went straight to the heartstring which sounds loudest and is vibrating deeply i am sure with a final effort of mistrust the cardinal raised his head and interrogated the other's clear and sure gaze the latter smiled with such superiority that the cardinal lowered his eyes oh you are right not to meet my glance my lord for then i see into your heart too clearly it is a mirror which retains the image which it has reflected silence count phoenix do be silent said the prelate subjugated silence you are right for the time has not come to parade such a passion not yet may it expect a future why not and can you tell me whether this is not a mad passion as i have thought and must think until i have a proof to the opposite you ask too much my lord i cannot say anything until i am in contact with some portion of the love inspirer's self for instance a tress of her golden hair however scanty verily you are a deep man you truly say you can read into hearts as i in my prayer-book almost the very words your ancestor used i, I mean chevalier louis rohan when i bade farewell to him on the execution stage in the bastille which he had ascended so courageously he said that you were deep and that i read hearts for i had forewarned him that chevalier perrault would betray him he would not believe me and he was betrayed what a singular connection you make between my ancestor and me said the cardinal turning pale against his wish only to show that you ought to be wary in procuring the lock to be cut from under a crown no matter whence it comes you shall have it very well here is your gold i hope you no longer doubt that it is gold give me pen and paper to write the receipt for this generous loan 
What do I want a receipt from your lordship for? My dear Count, I often borrow, but I never fail to write a receipt, rejoined the prince. Have it in your own way, my lord. The cardinal took a quill and scrawled in large and illegible writing a signature under a line or two, which a schoolboy would be ashamed of at present. Will that do? he inquired, handing it to Balsamo, who put it in his pocket without looking at it. Perfectly, he said. You have not read it? I have the word of a Rohan, and that is better than a bond. Count Phoenix, you are truly a noble man, and I cannot make you beholden to me. I am glad to be your debtor. Balsamo bowed and rang a bell, to which Fritz responded. Saying a few words in German to him, the servant wrapped up the ingots of gold in their wads of rope-yarn, and took them all up as a boy might as many oranges in a handkerchief, a little strained but not hampered or bent under the weight. "'Have we a Hercules here?' questioned the cardinal. "'He is rather lusty, my lord,' answered the necromancer. "'But I must own that, since he has been in my employment, I make him drink three drops every morning of an elixir which my learned friend Dr. Altotus compounded.' It is beginning to do him good. In a year he will be able to carry a hundred weight on each finger. Marvelous! Incomprehensible! declared the prince-priest. Oh, I cannot resist the temptation. Tell everybody about this. Do so, my lord, replied the host, laughing. But... Do not forget that it is tantamount to pledging yourself to put out the match when they start the fire, going to burn me in public. Having escorted his illustrious caller to the outer door, he took his leave with a respectful bow. But I do not see your man, said the visitor. He went to carry the gold to your carriage at the fourth tree on the right round the corner on the main street. That is what I told him in German, my lord. The cardinal lifted his hands in wonder and disappeared in the shadows. Balsamo waited until Fritz returned, when he went back to the private inner house, fastening all the doors. End of chapter 40 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Chapter 41 of Balsamo the Magician by Alexander Dumas Translated by Henry L. Williams this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Water of Life He went to listen at Lorenzo's door, where she was sleeping evenly and sweetly. He opened a panel and looked in upon her, for some while in affectionate reverie. Closing the wicket, he stole away to his laboratory, where he put out the fire by opening a register plate which sent most of the heat up the chimney and ran in water from a tank without. In a pocket-book, he carefully fastened up the receipt of Cardinal Rohan, saying, The parole of a Rohan is all very well, but only for me, and the brothers will want to know yonder how I employ their money. These words were dying on his lips when three sharp raps on the ceiling made him lift his head. Altatus wants me, and in a hurry. That is a good sign. With a long iron rod he rapped in answer. He put away the tools, and by means of an iron ring in a trap overhead, which was the floor of a dumb-waiter, 
as then they called elevators, he pulled this down to his feet. Placing himself in the center of it, he was carried gently by no spring but a simple hydraulic machine worked by the reservoir which had extinguished the fire up to the study reserved for the old alchemist. This new dwelling was eight feet by nine in height and sixteen in length. All the light came from a skylight as the four walls were without inlet. It was, relatively to the house on wheels, a palace. The old man was sitting in his easy chair on casters, at the middle of a horseshoe-shaped table in iron with a marble top, laden with a quantity of plants, books, tools, bottles, and papers, traced with cabalistic signs. Eh, chaos. He was so wrapped in thought that he was not disturbed by the entrance. A globe of crystal hung over his yellow and bald plate. In this a sort of serpent, fine and coiled like a spring, seemed to curl, and it sent forth a bright and unvarying light without other apparent source of luminous supply than the chain supporting the globe might contain to transmit. He was candling a file of ground glass in his fingers as a good wife tries eggs. "'Well, anything new?' said Balsamo, after having silently watched him for a while. "'Yes, yes. I am delighted, Akarat, for I have found what I sought.' gold diamonds pooh they are pretty discoveries for my soul to rejoice over i suppose you mean your elixir in that case yes my boy my elixir life everlasting oh so you are still harping on that string said the younger sage sadly for he thought his senior was following an idle dream. But without listening, Altatus was lovingly peering into his file. The proportions are found at last, he mumbled. Elixir of Aristeus, twenty grams, balm of mercury, fifteen, precipitate of gold, fifteen essence of lebanon cedar twenty-five grams but it seems to me bar the aristean elixir this is about what you last mixed up that is so but there was lacking the binding ingredient without which the rest are no good can one procure it certainly it is three drops of a child's arterial blood and have you the child gasped balsamo horrified no i expect you to find one for me master you are mad in what respect asked the emotionless old man licking with his tongue the stopper of the file from which a little of the nectar had oozed the child would be killed what of it the finer the child the better the heart's blood it cannot be children are no longer butchered but brought up with care in 
indeed how fickle is the world three years ago we were offered more children than we knew what to do with for four charges of gunpowder or a pint of trader's whisky that was on the congo river in africa master i believe so but it does not matter if the young is black i remember that what they offered were sprightly woolly-headed jolly little urchins unfortunately we are no longer on the congo we are in paris well we can embark from marseilles and be in africa in six weeks that can be done but i must stay in france on serious business business <laughs> sneered the old man sending forth a peal of shrill laughter most lugubrious true <laughs> i had forgotten that you have political clubs to organize <laughs> conspiracies to foster and in short serious business <laughs> and he laughed again forced and false balsamo held his peace reserving his powers for the storm impending how far has your business advanced he inquired painfully turning in his chair and fixing his large gray eyes on the pupil i have thrown the first stone he replied feeling the glance go through him the pool is stirred up the mud is in agitation the philosophic sediment yes you are going to bring into play your utopias fogs and hollow dreams these idiots dispute about the existence or non-existence of the almighty when they might become little gods themselves let us hear who are the famous philosophers whom you have enlisted i have already the leading poet and the greatest atheist of the age who will be coming into france presently to be made a freemason in the lodge i am getting up in the old jesuits college potterfay street his name is voltaire i do not know him the next i am to be introduced to the greatest sower of ideas of the century the author of the social contract rousseau he is not known to me either i expect not as you only know such old alchemists as alfonso the wise raymond lully peter of toledo and albert the great because they are the only men who have really loved a life sowed ideas that live and labored at the grand question of to be 
or not to be. There are two ways of living, master. I only know of one existing. But to return to your brace of philosophers, with their help, you intend to grasp the present and sap the future how stupid they must be in this country to be lured away by ideas no it is because they have too much brains that they are led by ideas and then i have a more powerful help than all the philosophers the fact that monarchy has lasted sixteen hundred years in France, and the French are tired of it. Hence, they are going to overturn the throne, and you are backing them with all your forces. You fool! What good is the upsetting of this monarchy? going to do you it will bring me nothing at the best but it will be happiness for others come come i am in a good humor today and can listen to your nonsense explain to me how you will obtain the general wheel and what it consists of a ministry is in power which is the last rampart defending the monarchy it is a cabinet brave industrious and intelligent which might sustain this worn-out and staggering monarchy for yet twenty years my aides will overturn it your philosophers oh no for they are in favor of the ministry, for its head is a philosopher too. Then they are a selfish pack. What great imbeciles! I do not care to discuss what they are, for I do not know, said Balsamo, who was losing his patience. I only know that they will all cry down the next ministry when this one is destroyed. This new cabinet will have against it the philosophers and then the parliament. They will make such an uproar that the cabinet will persecute the philosophers and block the parliament. Then in mind and matter will be organized a sullen league, a tenacious, stubborn, restless opposition, which will attack everything, undermining and shaking. Instead of parliament, they will try to rule with judges appointed by the king. They will do everything for their appointer. With reason they will be accused of venality, corruption, and injustice. The people will rise, and at last royalty will have a raid against its philosophy, which is intelligence, parliament, which is the middle class, and the mob, which is the people. In other words, the lever with which Archimedes can raise the world. Well when you have lifted it you will have to let it fall again yes but when it falls it will smash the royalty to use your figurative language 
when this worm-eaten monarchy is broken what will come out of the ruins freedom the french be free well then there will be thirty millions of free men in france yes among them do you not think there will be one with a bigger brain than another who will rob them of freedom some fine morning that he may have a larger share than his proper one for himself do you not remember a dog we had at medina which used to eat as much as all the rest together yes and i remember that they all together pitched on him one day and devoured him because they were dogs men would have continued to give in to the greediest do you set the instincts of animals above the intelligence of man forsooth the examples abound by which to prove it among the ancients was one julius caesar and among the moderns one oliver cromwell who ate up the roman and the english cake without anybody snatching many crumbs away from them well supposing such an usurper comes he must die some day being mortal but before dying he must do good to even those whom he oppressed for he would have changed the nature of the upper classes obliged to have some kind of support he will choose the popular as the strongest to the equality which abases he will oppose the kind which elevates equality has no fixed watermark but takes the level of him who makes it in raising the lowest classes he will have hallowed a principle unknown before his time the revolution will have made the french free the protectorate of another caesar or cromwell will have made them equal what a stupid fellow this is said altatus starting in his chair to spend twenty years in bringing up a child so that he shall come and tell you who taught him all you knew men are equal before the law maybe but before death how about that one dies in three days another lives a hundred years men equals before they have conquered death oh the brute the triple brute altatus sat back to laugh more freely at balsamo who kept his head lowered gloomy and thoughtful his instructor took pity on him unhappy sophist that you are bear in mind one thing that men will not be equals 
until they are immortal then they will be gods and these alone are undying immortal what a dream sighed the mesmerist dream so is the steam the electric fluid all that we are hunting after and not yet caught a dream but we will seize and they will be realities move with me the dust of ages and see that man in all times has been seeking what i am engaged upon under the different titles of the bliss the best the perfection had they found it this decrepit world would be fresh and rosy as the morning instead see the dry leaf the corpse the carrion heap is suffering desirable the corpse pleasant to look upon the carrion sweet you yourself are saying that nobody has found this water of life observed balsamo as the old man was interrupted by a dry cough i tell you that nobody will find it by this rule there would be no discoveries do you think discoveries are novelties which are invented not so they are forgotten things coming up anew why were the once found things forgotten because the inventor's life was too short for him to derive from it all its perfection twenty times they have nearly consummated the water of life Kieran would have made achilles completely immortal but for the lack of the three drops of blood which you refuse me in the flaw death found a passage and entered i repeat that Kieran was another altotis prevented by an acarot from completing the work which would save all mankind by shielding it from the divine malediction well what have you to say to that merely said balsamo visibly shaken that you have your work and i mine let each accomplish his at his risks and perils but i will not second yours by a crime a crime when i ask but three drops of blood one child and you would deluge a country with billions of gallons tell me now who is the cannibal of us two <laughs> you do not answer me 
my answer is that three drops would be nothing if you were sure of success are you sure who would send millions to the scaffold and battlefield can you stand up before the creator and say oh master of life in return for four millions of slain men i will warrant the happiness of humanity master ask for something else said balsamo eluding the point ha you do not answer you cannot answer taunted altatus triumphantly you must be mistaken on the efficacy of the means it is impossible it looks as if you argued with me disputed deem me a liar said the old alchemist rolling with cold anger in his gray eyes under his white brows no but i am in contact with men and things and you dwell in a nook in the pure abstraction of a student i see the difficulties and have to point them out you would soon overcome such difficulties if you liked or believed i do not believe but do you believe that death is an incontestable thing invincible and infinite and when you see a dead body does not the perspiration come to your brow and a regret is born in your breast no regret comes into my breast because i have familiarized myself to all human miseries and i esteem life as a little thing but i say in presence of the corpse dead thou who wert mighty as a god o death it is thou who reigns sovereignly and nothing can prevail against thee altatus listened in silence with no other token of impatience than fidgeting with a scalpel in his hands when his disciple had finished the solemn and doleful phrase he smiled while looking around his eyes so burning that no secrets seemed to exist for him stopped on a nook in the room where a little dog trembled on a handful of straw it was the last of three of a kind which balsamo had provided on request of the elder for his experiments bring that dog to this table said he to balsamo who laid the creature on a marble slab seeming to foresee its doom and having probably already been handled by the dissector the animal shuddered wriggled and yelped at contact of the cold stone so you believe in life since you do in death squeaked altatus this dog looks live enough eh certainly as it moves and whines how ugly black dogs are 
i should like white ones another time howl away you cur <laughs> said the vivisectionist with his lugubrious laugh howl to convince grand signor Akarat that you live he pierced the animal at a certain muscle so that he whimpered instead of barking good push the bell of the air pump hither but stay i must ask what kind of death you prefer for him deem best i do not know what you mean death is death master very correct what you say and i agree with you since one kind of death is the same as another exhaust the air akarat balsamo worked the air pump and the air in the bell of glass hissed out at the bottom so that the little puppy grew uneasy at the first looked around began to sniff put his paw to the issue till the pain of the pressure made him take it away and then he fell suffocated puffed up and asphyxiated behold the dog dead of apoplexy pronounced the sage this is a fine mode with no long suffering but you do not seem fully convinced i suppose you know how well laden i am with resources and you think i have the method of restoring the respiration no i am not supposing that the dog is truly not alive never mind we will make assurance doubly sure by killing the canine twice lift off the receiver akarat the glass bell was removed and there lay the victim never stirring with eyes shut and heart without a beat take the scalpel and sever the spinal column without cutting the larynx i do so solely because you say it and to finish the poor creature in case it be not dead said the other with a smile of obstinacy peculiar to the aged with one incision balsamo separated the vertebral column a couple of inches from the brain and opened a yawning gash the body remained unmoving he is an inert animal i see cold forever without movement eh you say nothing prevails against death no power can restore even the appearance of life far less life itself to this carcass only the miracle of heaven but heaven does not do such things 
supreme wisdom kills because there is reason or benefit to the act an assassin said so and he was quite right nature has an interest in the death now what will you say if this dog opens his eyes and looks at you it would much astonish me said the pupil smiling i am glad to hear that it would do as much as that as he drew the dog up to an apparatus which we know as a voltaic pile he rounded off his words with his false and grating laugh the pile was composed of a vessel containing strips of metal separated by felt all were bathed in acidulated water out of the cup came the two ends of wire the poles to speak technically which eye shall it open akarat inquired the experimentalist the right the two extremities were brought together but parted by a little silk on a neck muscle in an instant the dog's right eye opened and stared at balsamo who could not help recoiling look out said the infernal jester with his dry laugh our dead dog is going to bite you <laughs> indeed the animal in spite of its sundered spine with gaping jaws and tremulous eye suddenly got upon its four legs and tottered on them with his hair bristling balsamo receded to the door uncertain whether to flee or remain but we must not frighten you to death in trying to teach you said altatus pushing back the cadaver and the machine the contact broken the carcass fell back into immovability you see that we may arrive at the point i spoke of my son and prolong life since we can annul death not so for you have only obtained a semblance of life objected balsamo in time we shall make it real the roman poets and they were esteemed prophets assert that cassidius revived the dead but one objection supposing your elixir perfect and a dog given some it would live on until it fell into the hands of a dissector who would cut its throat i thought you would take me there chuckled the old wizard clapping his hands your elixir will not prevent a chimney falling on a man a bullet going clear through him or a horse kicking his skull open altatus eyed the speaker like a fencer watching his antagonist make a lunge which lays him open to defeat no 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 and you are a true logician no my dear akarat such accidents cannot be avoided the wounds will still be made but i can stop the vital spirit issuing by the whole look before the other could interfere he drove the lancet into his arm the old man had so little blood that it was some time flowing to the cut 
but when it came it was abundantly great god you have hurt yourself cried the younger man we must convince you taking up a phial of colorless fluid he poured a few drops on the wound instantly the liquid congealed or rather threw out fibers materializing and soon a plaster of a yellow hue covered in the gash and staunched the flow balsamo had never seen collodion and he gazed in stupefaction at the old sage you are the wisest of men father at least if i have not dealt death a death-blow i have given him a thrust under which he will find it hard to rise you see my son that the human frame has brittle bones i will harden and yet supple them like steel it has blood which in flowing out carries life with it i will stop the flow the skin and flesh are soft i will tan them so that they will turn the edge of steel and blunt the points of spears while bullets will flatten against it only let an altotus live three hundred years well give me what i want and i shall live a thousand oh my dear akarat all depends on you bring me the child i will think it over and do you likewise reflect the sage darted a look of withering scorn on his adept. Go, he snarled. I will convince you later. Besides, human blood is not so precious that I cannot use a substitute. Go, and let me seek. I shall find. I have no need of you. Be gone. Balsamo walked over to the elevator and with a stamp of the foot caused it to carry him down to the other floor. Mute, crushed by the genius of this wizard, he was forced to believe in impossible things by his doing them. End of chapter 41 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Chapter 42 of Balsamo the Magician by Alexander Dumas. Translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The King's New Amour This same long night had been employed by Countess Duberry in trying to mold the King's mind to a new policy according to her views. Above all, she had dwelt upon the necessity of not letting the Soiseul party win possession of the Dauphiness. 
the king had answered carelessly that the princess was a girl, and Choiseul an old statesman, so that there was no danger, since one only wanted to sport and the other to labor. Enchanted at what he thought a witticism, he cut short further dry talk. But Jeanne did not stay stopped, for she fancied the royal lover was thinking of another. He was fickle. His great pleasure was in making his lady loves jealous, as long as they did not sulk too long or become too riotous in their jealous fits. Jeanne du Barry was jealous naturally, and from fear of a fall. Her position had cost her too much pains to conquer, and was too far from the starting point for her to tolerate rivals as Lady Pompadour had done. Hence, she wanted to know what was on the royal mind. He answered by these memorable words, of which he did not mean a jot. "'I intend to make my daughter-in-law very happy, and I am afraid that my son will not make her so.' "'Why not, sire?' "'Because he looks at other women a good deal, and very seldom at her.' "'If any but your majesty said that, I should disbelieve them, for the archduchess is sweetly pretty.' "'She might be rounded out more. That Mademoiselle de Tavernay is the same age, and she has a finer figure. She is perfectly lovely.' Fire flashed in the favorite's eyes and warned the speaker of his blunder. "'Why, uh, I wager that you were plump as Watteau's shepherdesses at sixteen, said he quickly, which adulation improved matters a little, but the mischief was done. "'Humph!' said she, bridling up under the pleased smile. "'Is the young lady of the Tavernay family so very, very fair?' I only noticed that she was not a bag of bones. You know I am short-sighted, and the general outline alone strikes me. I saw that the newcomer from Austria was not plump. That is all. Yes, you must only see generally, for the Austrian is a stylish beauty, and the provincial lady a vulgar one. "'According to this, Jean, you would be the vulgar kind,' said the monarch. "'You are joking, I think.' "'That is a compliment, but it is wrapped up in a compliment to another,' thought the favorite, and aloud she said, "'Faith, I should like the Dauphiness to choose a bevy of beauties for maids of honor. A court of old tabbies is frightful.' "'You are talking over one one to your side, for I was saying the same thing to the Dauphine. But he is indifferent.' "'However, she begins well, you think, to take this Tavernay girl. She has no money?' "'No, but she has blood. The Tavernay Redcastles are a good old house, and long-time servants of the realm.' Who is backing them? Not the Soisseurs, for they would be over-feasted with pensions in that case. I beg you not to bring in politics, Countess. Is it bringing in politics to say that the Soisseurs are blood-sucking the realm? Certainly. And he arose. An hour after he regained the Grand Trianon Palace, 
happy at having inspired jealousy, though he said to himself, as a Richelieu might do at thirty, "'What a bother these jealous women are!' Duberry went into her boudoir, where Chan was impatiently waiting for the news. "'You are having fine success?' she exclaimed. "'Day before yesterday presented to the Dauphiness. You dined at her table yesterday.' "'That's so. But much good in such nonsense.' nonsense when a hundred fashionable carriages are racing to bring you courtiers i am vexed sorry for them as they will not have any smiles from me this morning let me have my chocolate stormy weather eh john rang and zamore came in to get the order he started off so slowly and humping his back that the mistress cried is that slow coach going to make me perish of hunger if he plays the camel and does not hurry, he'll get a hundred lashes on his back. Me no hurry, me governor, replied the black boy majestically. You a governor? screamed the lady, flourishing a fancy riding whip kept to maintain order among the spaniels. I'll give you a lesson in governing. But the negro ran out yelling. You are quite ferocious, Jean remarked her sister. Surely I have the right to be ferocious in my own house. Certainly, but I am going to elope, for fear I may be devoured alive. Three knocks on the door came to interrupt the outbreak. Hang it all! Who is bothering now? cried the countess, stamping her foot. He is in for a nice welcome, muttered John. "'It will be a good thing if I am badly received,' said Jean, as he pushed open the door as widely as though he were a king. "'For then I should take myself off and not come again, and you would be the greater loser of the two. "'Saucebox!' "'Because I am not a flatterer. What is the matter with the girl this morning, John?' "'She is not safe to go near.' "'Oh!' "'Here comes the chocolate. Good morning, chocolate,' said the favorite's brother, taking the platter and putting it on a small table at which he seated himself. "'Come and tuck it in, John. Those who are too proud won't get any. That's all.' "'You are a nice pair,' said Jean, gobbling up the bread and butter, instead of wondering what worries me. "'Out of cash, I suppose?' said chan pooh the king will run out before i do then lend me a thousand i can do with it said the man you will get a thousand phillips on the nose sooner than a thousand louis is the king going to keep that abominable choiseul questioned chan that is no novelty you know that they are sticks in the mud has the old boy fallen in love with the Dauphiness? You are getting warm, but look at the glutton, ready to burst with swilling chocolate and will not lift a finger to help me out of my quandary. You never mean to say the king has another fancy, cried John, clasping her hands and turning pale. If I did not say so, your brother would, 
for he will either choke with the chocolate or get it out. Thus adjured, Jean managed to gasp the name, Andrea of Tavernay. The baron's daughter? Oh, mercy! groaned John. I do not know what keeps me from tearing his eyes out, the lazy bones, to go puffing them up with sleep when our fortunes stagger. "'With want of sleep, you mean?' returned Jean. "'I am sleepy, as I am hungry for the same reason. I have been running about the streets all night.' "'Just like you.' "'And all the morning.' "'You might have run to some purpose, and found out where that intriguing jade is housed.' "'The very thing. I questioned the driver of the carriage lent to them.' and he took them to Cock Heron Street. They are living in a little house at the back, next door to our Menonville house. Jean, Jean, we are good friends again, said the countess. Gorge as you like, but we must have all the particulars about her, how she lives, who calls on her, and what she is about. Does she get any love letters? these are important to know i have got us started on the right road anyway said jean suppose you do a little now well suggested jean there must be rooms to let in that street excellent idea said the countess you must be off quickly to the place jean and hire a flat there where a watcher can mark down all her doings no use there are no rooms to hire there i inquired but i can get what we want in the street at the back overlooking their place plastriera street well quick get a room there i have done that answered jean admirable fellow come let me bust thee exclaimed the royal favorite John wiped his mouth, received the caress, and made a ceremonious bow to show that he was duly grateful for the honor. "'I took the little sweet for a young widow. Young widow, you, John!' "'Capital! It shall be John who will take the lodgings and keep an eye on what goes on. But you must not lose any time. The coach!' cried Dubarry ringing the bell so loudly that she would have roused all the spellbound servants of the palace of the sleeping beauty the three knew how highly to rate andrea for at her first sight she had excited the king's attention hence she was dangerous this girl said the countess while the carriage was being got ready cannot be a true country wench if she has not made some sweetheart follow her to paris let us hunt up this chap and get her married to him offhand. Nothing would so piss off the king as rustic lovers getting wedded. I do not know so much about that, said Jean. Let us be distrustful. His most Christian majesty is greedy for what is another's property. John departed in the coach with Jean's promise that he would be her first visitor in the new lodgings. She was in luck, for she had hardly more than taken possession of the rooms and gone to look out of the window commanding a view of the rear gardens, 
than a young lady came to sit at the summer-house window with embroidery in her hand. It was Andrea. End of chapter 42 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Chapter 43 of Balsamo the Magician by Alexander Dumas Translated by Henry L. Williams This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Two Birds with One Stone John had not been many minutes scanning the Tavernet lady when Viscount Jean, racing up the stairs four at a time like a schoolboy, appeared on the threshold of the pretended widow's room. Hurrah, Jean! I am placed splendidly to see what goes on, but I am unfortunate about hearing. You ask too much. Oh, I say, I have a bit of news, marvellous and incomparable. These philosophic fellows say a wise man ought to be ready for anything. But I cannot be wise for this knocked me. I give you a hundred chances to guess who I ran up against at a public fountain at the corner. He was sopping a piece of bread in the gush, and it was our philosopher. Who? Gilbert? The very boy, with bare head, open waistcoat, stockings ungartered, shoes without buckles. In short, just as he turned out of bed. Then he lives by here? Did you speak to him? We recognized one another, and when I thrust out my hand he bolted like a harrier among the crowd, so that I lost sight of him. You don't think I was going to run after him, do you? Hardly. But then you have lost him. What a pity, said the girl Sylvie, whom Chon had brought along as her maid. Yes, certainly, said Jean. I owe him a hundred stripes with a whip, and they would not have spoilt by keeping any longer had I got a grip of his color. But he guessed my good intentions and fled. No matter, here he is in town, and when one has the ear of the chief of police, anybody can be found. Shut him up when you catch him said Sylvie, but in a safe place. "'And make you turn key over him,' suggested Jean, winking. "'She would like to take him his bread and water.' "'Stop your joking, brother,' said Chan. "'The young fellow saw your row over the post-horses, and he is to be feared if you set him against you.' "'How can he live without means?' "'Tut!' He will hold horses or run errands. Never mind him. Come to our observatory. Brother and sister approached the window with infinity of precautions. Jean had provided himself with a telescope. Andrea had dropped her needlework, put up her feet in a lower chair, taken a book, and was reading it with some attention, for she remained very still. Fee on the studious person, sneered John. "'What an admirable one,' added Jean. "'A perfect being. What arms, what hands, what eyes, lips that would wreck the soul of St. Anthony. Oh, the divine feet, and what an ankle in that silk hose!' "'Hold your tongue. This is coming on finely,' said John. "'You are smitten with her now?' 
this is the drop that fills the bucket it would not be a bad job if it were so and she returned me the flame a little it would save our poor sister a lot of worry let me have the spyglass a while yes she is very handsome and she must have had a sweetheart out there in the woods but she is not reading see the book slips out of her hand i tell you jean that she is in a brown study she sleeps you mean not with her eyes open what lovely eyes this is a good glass jean i can almost read in her book what is the book then john was leaning out a little when she suddenly drew back gracious look at that head sticking out of the garret window gilbert by jove with what burning eyes he is glaring on the tavernay girl i have it he is the country gallant of his lady he has had the notice where she was coming to live in paris and he has taken a room close to her a change of dovecote for the turtle doves sister we need not trouble now for he will do all the watching for his own gain no for ours let me pass as i must go and see the chief of police by jupiter what luck we have but don't you let philosopher catch a glimpse of you he would decamp very quick End of chapter 43 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia Chapter 44 of Balsam of the Magician by Alexander Dumas Translated by Henry L. Williams This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Plan of Action Sartina had allowed himself to sleep late, as he had managed the multitude very well during the Dauphiness's reception, and he was trying on new wigs at noon as a kind of holiday, when Chevalier Jean Dubarry was announced. The minister of police was sure that nothing unpleasant had occurred, as the favorite's brother was smiling. "'What brings you so early?' "'To begin with,' replied Jean, always ready to flatter those of whom he wanted to make use. "'I am bound to compliment you on the admirable way in which you regulated the processions. "'Is this official?' "'Quiet, so far as Luciana is concerned.' is not that ample does not the sun rise in that quarter it goes down there very often eh and the pair laughed but the compliments apart i have a service to ask of you two if you like tell me if anything lost in paris can be found yes whether worthless or very valuable my object of search is not worth much responded jean shaking his head only a young fellow of eighteen named gilbert who was in the service of the tavernays in lorraine but was picked up on the road by my sister john she took him to lucienne where he abused the hospitality stole something i do not say so but he took flight 
in a suspicious manner have you any clue to his hiding-place i met him at the fountain at the corner of plastriere street where i suppose he is living and i believe i could lay my hand on the very house all right i will send a shore agent who will take him out of it the fact is this is a special affair and i should like you to manage it without a third party oh in that case let me pick out a becoming wig and i am with you i have a carriage below thank you i prefer my own it gets a new coat of paint every month so as not to betray me he had tried on his twentieth peruke when the carriage was waiting at the door there it is the dirty house said jean pointing in the direction of a dwelling in plastriere street Ooh, said sartina dash me if i did not suspect this you are unlucky for that is the dwelling of rousseau of geneva the scribbler what does that matter it matters that uh, rousseau is a man to be dreaded pooh it is not likely my little man will be harbored by a celebrity why not as you nicknamed him a philosopher birds of a feather you know suppose it is so why not put this rousseau in the bastille if he is in our way well he would be more in our way there than here you see the mob likes to throw stones at him but they would pelt us if he was no longer their target and they want him for themselves but let us see into this sit back in the carriage he referred to a notebook i have it if your young blade is with rousseau when would he have met him say on the sixteenth instant good he returned from botanizing in moidon wood on the seventeenth with a youth and this stranger stayed all night under his roof you are crossed by luck give it up or you would have all the philosophers against us in riot oh lord what will sister jeanne say oh does the countess want the lad why not coax him out and then we would nab him anywhere not inside rousseau's house you might as well coax a hyena mm, i doubt it is so difficult all you want is a go-between let me see a prince will not do better one of these writers a poet a philosopher or a bota stay i have him gilbert yes through a botanist friend of rousseau's you know jussu yes for the countess lets him prowl in her gardens and rifle them i begin to believe that you shall have your gilbert without any noise rousseau will hand him over pinioned so to say so you go on making a trap for philosophers according to a plan i will give you 
on vacant ground out Madon or marley way now let us be off as the passengers are beginning to stare at us home coachman end of chapter 44 recording by john van stan savannah georgia Chapter 45 of Balsamo the Magician by Alexandre Dumas. Translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Too Good a Teacher. Fatigued by the ceremonies of the Dauphin's nuptials, and particularly by the dinner, which was too stately, the king retired at nine o'clock and dismissed all attendants except Duke Vauguillon, tutor of the royal children as he was losing his best pupil by the marriage having only his two brothers to teach and as it is the custom to reward a preceptor when education of a charge is complete he expected a recompense he had been sobbing and now he slipped out a pocket-handkerchief and began to weep come my poor vaurillon said the king pointing to a footstool in the light while he would be in the shade pray be seated without any to-do the duke sighed the education is over and you have turned out in the prince royal the best educated prince in europe i believe he is good at history at geography and at wood-turning the praise for that goes to another sire and at setting timepieces in order before he handled them my clocks told the time one after another like wheels of a coach but he has put them right in short the heir to the crown will i believe be a good king a good manager and a good father of family i suppose he will be a good father he insisted why your majesty said vaugillon simply i consider that as the dauphin has all the germs of good in his bosom those that constitute that are in the cluster come come my lord said the sovereign let us speak plainly as you know the dauphin thoroughly you must know all about his tastes and his passions pardon me sire but i have extirpated all his passions confound it all this is just what i feared exclaimed louis the fifteenth with an energy which made the hearer's wig stand its hairs on end sire the duke of berry has lived under your august roof with the innocence of the studious youth but the youth is now a married man sire as the guide of yes well i see that you must guide him to the very last please your majesty this is the way of it you will go to the dauphin who is now receiving the final compliments of the gentlemen as the dauphiness is receiving those of the ladies get a candle take your pupil aside show him the nuptial chamber which is at the end of a corridor filled with pictures which i have selected as a complete course of the instruction which uh, your lordship omitted ah said the duke starting at the smile of his master which would have appeared cynical on any mouth but his the wittiest in the kingdom 
at the end of the new corridor i say of which here is the key vauguillon took it trembling you will shake your pupil's hand put the candle into it wish him good night and tell him that it will take twenty minutes to reach the bedroom door giving a minute to each painting i i understand that is a good thing your majesty is good enough to excuse me i suppose i shall have to but you were making this end prettily for my family from the window the king could see the candle which passed from the hands of Vauguillon into that of his guileless pupil go the way up the new gallery and flicker out i gave him twenty minutes i myself found five long enough muttered the king alas will they say of the dauphin as of the second racine he is the nephew of his grandfather end of chapter forty five recording by john van stan savannah georgia chapter forty six of balsamo the magician by alexander dumas translated by henry l williams this librivox recording is in the public domain a terrible wedding night the dauphin opened the door of the anteroom before the wedding chamber the archduchess was waiting in a long white wrapper with the strange anticipation on her brow along with the sweet expectation of the bride of some disaster she seemed menaced with one of those terrors which nervous dispositions foresee and support sometimes with more bravery than if not awaited lady noailles was seated by the gilded couch which easily held the princess's frail and dainty body the maids of honor stood at the back waiting for the mistress of the attendants to make them the sign to withdraw these were all ignorant that the dauphin was coming by a new way in as the corridor was empty and the door at the end ajar he could see and hear what went on in the room in what direction does my lord the dauphin come inquired the austrian's pure and harmonious voice though slightly tremulous yonder replied lady noailles pointing just the wrong way what is that noise outside not unlike the roaring of angry waters it is the tumult of the innumerable sightseers walking about under the illumination and waiting for the fireworks display the illuminations said the princess with a sad smile they must have been timely this evening for did you not notice it was very black weather at this moment the dauphin who was tired of waiting thrust his head in at the door and asked if he might enter lady noailles screamed for she did not recognize the intruder at first the dauphiness worked up into a nervous state by the incidents of the day seized the duchess's arm in her fright it is i madame have no fear called out the prince but why by that way said lady noailles because explained louis the king showing his head at the half-open door because the duke of vauguillon knows so much latin mathematics and geography as to leave room for nothing else in presence of the king so untimely arrived the dauphiness slipped off the couch and stood up in the wrapper 
clothed from head to foot like a vestal virgin in her stole. "'Anyone can see that she is thin,' muttered the king. "'What the deuce made Choiseul pick out the skinny chicken among all the polaires of European courts?' "'Your majesty will please to observe that I acted according to the strict etiquette,' said the Duchess of Noailles. "'The infraction was on my lord, the Dauphine's part.' "'I take it on myself. So let us leave the children to themselves.' said the monarch. The princess seized the lady's arm with more terror than before. "'Oh, don't go away,' she faltered. "'I shall die of shame.' "'Sire, the Dauphiness begs to be allowed to go to rest without any state,' said Lady Noaya. "'The deuce! And does Lady Etiquette herself crave that?' "'Look at the Archduchess.' In fact, Marie Antoinette, standing up, pale and with her rigid arms sustaining her by a chair, resembled a statue of fright, but for the slight chattering of her teeth and the cold perspiration bedewing her forehead. "'Oh, I should not think of causing the young lady any pain,' said Louis the Fifteenth, as little strict about forms as his father was the other thing. "'Let us retire, Duchess. Besides—' the doors have locks the dauphin blushed to hear these words of his grandfather but the lady though hearing had not understood king louis the fifteenth embraced his granddaughter-in-law and went forth with lady noaille laughing mockingly and sadly for those who did not share his merriment the other persons had gone out by the other door the wedded pair were left alone in silence at last the young husband approached his bride with bosom beating rapidly to his temples breast and wrist he felt all his repressed blood rushing hotly but he guessed that his grandfather was behind the door and the cynical glance still chilled the dauphin very timid and awkward by nature you are not well madame he stammered you are very pale and i think you are trembling I cannot conceal that I am under a spell of agitation. There must be some terrible storm overhead, for I am peculiarly affected by thunderstorms. Indeed, she shook by spasms as though affected by electrical shocks. At this time, as though to justify her assertion, a furious gust of wind, such as shear the tops off mountains and heap up half the sea against the other, the first whoop of the coming tempest filled the palace with tumult, anguish, and many a creaking. Leaves were swept off the branches, branches off the boughs and from the trees. Along an immense clamor was drawn from the hundred thousand spectators in the gardens. A lugubrious and endless bellowing ran through the corridors and galleries, composing the most awful notes that had ever vibrated in human ears. Then... An ominous rattling and jingling succeeded the roar. It was the fall of countless shivers of glass out of the window panes on the marble slabs and cornices. At the same time, the gale had opened one of the shutters and banged it to and fro like a wings of a bird of night. Wherever the window had been open and where the glass was shivered, the lights were put out. The prince went over to the window to fasten the broken shutter, but his wife held him back. Oh, pray! Do not open that window, for the lights will be blown out and I should die of fright. 
He stopped. Through the casement beyond the curtain which he had drawn, the treetops of the park were visible, swayed from side to side as if some unseen giant were waving them by the stems. All the illuminations were extinguished. Then could be seen on the dark sky still blacker clouds coming on with a rolling motion like troops of cavalry wrapped in dust. The pallid prince stood with one hand on the sash handle. The bride sank on a chair with a sigh. "'You are very much alarmed, madame.' "'Yes, though your presence supports me. Oh, what a storm! All the pretty lights are put out.' "'Yes, it is a southwest wind. Always the worst for storms. If it holds out, I do not know how they will be able to set off the fireworks.' What would be the use of them? Everybody will be out of the gardens in such weather. You do not know what our French are when there is a show. They cry for the pyrotechnics, and this is to be superb. The pyrotechnist showed me the sketches. There, look at the first rockets. Indeed, brilliant as long, fiery serpents, the trial rockets rushed up into the clouds. But at the same time, as if the storm had taken the flash as a challenge. One stroke of lightning seeming to split the sky snaked among the rockets ascending and eclipsed their red glare with its bluish flaring. Verily, it is impiety for man to contest with God, said the archduchess. The trial rockets had preceded the general display by but a few minutes, as the pyrotechnist felt the need of hastening and the first set pieces were fired and were hailed with a cheer of delight. But as though they were really a war between man and heaven, the storm, irritated by the impiety, drowned with its thunder the cheers of the mobs, and all the cataracts on high opened at once. Torrents of rain were precipitated from the cloudy heights. In like manner to the wind putting out the illuminations, the rain put out the fireworks. What a misfortune! The fireworks are spoilt, said the Dauphin. Alas, everything goes wrong since I entered France, said Marie Antoinette. This storm suits the feast that was given me. It was wanted to hide from the people the miseries of this dilapidated palace of Versailles. So, blow, you southwest wind, spout rain, pile yourselves together tempestuous clouds to hide from my eyes the paltry tawdry reception given to the daughter of the kaisers when she laid her hand in that of the future king the visibly embarrassed dauphin did not know what answer to make to this these reproaches and particularly this exalted melancholy so far from his character he only sighed i afflict you continued she but do not believe that my pride is speaking no no it is no wise in it would that they had only shown me the pretty little trianon with its flower gardens and smiling shades the rain will but refresh it the wind but open the blossoms that charming nest would content me but these ruins frighten me so repugnant to my youth, and yet how many more ruins will be created by this frightful storm? A fresh gust, worse than the first, shook the palace. The princess started up aghast. Oh, heavens, tell me that there is no danger. 
she moaned i shall die of fright there is no fear madame versailles is built on terraces so as to defy the storm if lightning fell it would only strike yonder chapel with its sharp roof or the little tower which has turrets you know that peaks attract the electric fluid and flat surfaces repel them he took her frozen yet palpitating hand just then a vivid flash inundated the room with its violet and livid glare she uttered a scream and repulsed her husband oh you looked in the lurid gleam like a phantom pale headless and bleeding it is the mirage caused by the sulphur said the prince i will explain but a deafening peal of thunder cut short the sentence of the phlegmatic prince lecturing the royal spouse come come madame let us leave such fears to the common people physical agitation is one of the conditions of nature a storm and this is no more is one of the most frequent and natural phenomena i do not know why people are surprised at them i should not quail so much at another time but for a storm to burst on our wedding night another awful forewarning joined to those heralding my entry into france my mother has told me that this century is fraught with horrors as the heavens above are charged with fire and destruction madame no dangers can menace the throne to which we shall ascend for we royalties dwell above the common plain the thunder is at our feet and we wield the bolts alas something dreadful was predicted me or rather shown to me in a dish of water it is hard to describe what was utterly novel to me a machine reared on high like a scaffold two upright beams between which glided an axe of odd shape i saw my head beneath this blade it descended in my head severed from the body leapt to the earth this is what i was shown pure hallucination said the scoffer there is no such an instrument in existence so be encouraged alas i cannot drive away the odious thought you will succeed marie said the dauphine drawing nearer beside you will be an affectionate and assiduously protective husband at the instant when the husband's lips nearly touched the wife's cheek the picture gallery door opened again and the curious covetous look of king louis the fifteenth penetrated the place but simultaneously a crash of which no words can give an idea resounded through the palace a spout of white flame streaked with green dashed past the window but shivered a statue on the balcony then after a prodigious ripping and splitting sound it bounded upward and vanished like a meteor out went the candles the dauphine staggered back dazed and frightened to the very wall the dauphiness fell half swooned on the step of her praying desk and dwelt in deadly torpor believing the earth was quaking under him louis the fifteenth regained his rooms followed by his faithful valet in the morning versailles was not recognizable the ground had drunk up the deluge and the trees absorbed the sulphur 
everywhere was mud and the broken boughs dragging their blackened lengths like scorched serpents louis the fifteenth went to the bridal chamber for the third time and looked in he shuddered to see at the praying stand the bride pale and prone with the aurora tinging her spotless robe like a magdalen of rubens on a chair with his velvet slippers in a puddle of water the dauphin of france sat as pale as his wife and with the same air of having faced a nightmare the nuptial bed was untouched louis the fifteenth frowned a never-before-experienced pain ran through his brow cooled by egotism even when debauchery tried to heat it he shook his head sighed and returned to his apartments full of grim forebodings over the future which this tragic event had marked on its brow what dread and mysterious incidents were enfolded in its bosom it will be our mission to disclose in the sequel to this book entitled the mesmerous victim end of chapter forty six recording by john van stan savannah georgia end of the first volume of the marie antoinette romances balsamo the magician by alexander dumas translated by henry l williams thank you for listening